Welcome to the Cross to Crown Podcast, where we keep the system out of theology and the baby out of the bathwater. We keep the text in its context and the new in the new covenant. Our mission is to help you live intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the 32nd episode of the Cross the Crown podcast. We are diving back into our series on the Sermon on the Mount. This is part two, and we're, we've got some wonderful passages and some challenging passages and sometimes difficult for some people to understand passages lined up for today. And so we're looking forward to getting into that. Before we do, I want to introduce myself and my co-host. I am Chris Fales, joined by Doug Gooden. Now, Doug Gooden is a pastor. He is an author. He is a professor. He is a lecturer. So he's used to doing a lot of talking, a lot of writing, and he's a very smart guy, and we're so blessed to have him. Um, been in the ministry for over 25 years, uh, and, and uh, so he shares a wealth of knowledge and experience. And that's one of the things we're blessed about is, is uh, to have him on the podcast is that he's not just one of these guys that writes books and such and, and lectures, but he's a guy that is actually practicing ministry. So we're very thankful to have him as he's come up against um, questions and stuff like that from other folks over the years. So he's, he's, he's ready. He's sharp. I have sent him no notes previously to this episode, so we're going to get him right uh, fresh off the bat here. How you doing, Doug? <laughs> doing well. Listening to all that makes me feel old. I don't, uh, I don't think I am that old, but <laughs> apparently I am. That's my purpose. That's, that's purpose. <laughs> hey, you've got more gray in your beard I than I do, so... <laughs> No, I'm doing well. Uh, it's a busy time of year for all of us, and uh, as you and I were talking offline here, um, it's uh, you know supposed to be springtime. We got uh, 18 inches of snow on uh, Monday. Uh, we had uh, planned for short weather. In fact, my wife and I were just talking the other day about putting away our winter clothes and getting out all of our summer clothes, and I'm glad we didn't make that move. Uh, but uh, it's kind of Portland-like with the snow. Uh, it's cold and rainy and uh, snow, but yeah, it's been good. And uh, we sent my daughter away yesterday to uh, a summer camp. She's 18, and she's going to be serving at Eagle Lake Summer Camp. This, this happened spur of the moment. So Saturday, my wife sees on Facebook that uh, they are still uh, short one counselor, and she mentioned it to my daughter, Sophie, and Sophie got very excited about it. So in just a few days. She quit all of her jobs. She uh, she made all the arrangements, bought her clothes, and yesterday we shipped her off. So as you can imagine, the, the gloomy weather around here is uh, impacting my wife a little bit, as for the Aww. first time, her uh, <laughs> her oldest daughter, 18-year-old daughter, is uh, she's going to be gone for 13 weeks. But it's going to be a oh, great experience wow. yeah, for her, mm. and she's going to be fantastic. Uh, we had a great time praying and talking through what, uh, what the summer will be like. Yeah. Uh, she, uh, Anyway, but uh, that was, that's been the uh, the story around here for the last few days. You know, I did that one time in, when I was in college. I took a summer and went to a Christian uh, summer camp and was a counselor there. And I had a blast. That was one of the most memorable summers I've ever had in my life. It was a lot of fun, uh, a lot of spiritual growth, and then also a lot of ministry opportunity to young folks. I really appreciate, uh, came to really appreciate folks who minister to children a lot more. Yeah, it was a good time. Good time. All right. Well, I mean, you got snow. I've got rain. We're both living in the end times or something here. Um, I saw the picture you sent to me of the snow out out front, and I just couldn't believe it last week. Uh, 
earlier this week when you when you sent that to me. And here we are. We've we're almost su- at summertime. You've got snow, and I'm in drought California, but it's no longer drought California. It is one of the greenest places I've seen uh, in the country right now because of all the the rain that we've had over. Every time we podcast, I say, "Oh, it's raining outside." It was, this is uncommon, folks. If you've ever heard about California, uh, especially in the last decade and a half at least we don't get this much rain so this is great this is fantastic that we've gotten this much what a blessing so hey let's let's go ahead and we've got uh, a lot to cover uh, so let's go ahead and dive into our our um our, our topic here our passage actually now if you have not listened to the last podcast episode 31 we started a series on the sermon on the mount and uh a lot of folks are pretty familiar with the sermon on the mount uh it's one of those 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 sections that people seem to gravitate toward um, have have uh, if they've been in the church for a while they've they've probably heard some sermons on it or are familiar with it, um, but there's some stuff that sometimes get clou- that gets clouded or distorted in the Sermon on the Mount due to the uh, theological upbringing someone may have. Uh, if you've been raised within a system of theology, say for instance dispensationalism or uh, covenant theology, there's some leanings that. Some folks have when they read this passage, passage as well, but particularly this passage. We went through the the, the Beatitudes um, last time, so I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode because there's a lot of preliminary stuff that that is brought out. You're going to notice when we talked about the Beatitudes, there was a kingdom emphasis, there was a uh, inclusio that was that was there that a lot of people don't pick up on. That uh, is, it's it means that uh, the topic of the of the Beatitudes was about the kingdom. So that actually translates further into the Sermon on the Mount. It's setting you up for a theme that's going to go on. He's still talking about the kingdom uh, throughout the Sermon on the Mount. So we want to bring that out as well. But we talked about salt and light and what that meant. And uh, then today what we're going to do is we're going to dive into probably the most controversial, one of them, if not, yeah, it's probably the most controversial um, debated topic or section in the Sermon on the Mount. It's just a few little verses here in 17 through 20. And you've got various headings that you'll see in your Bible for this section. Uh, mine says Christ fulfills the law. What do you have in yours? Do you have anything in yours? Actually, I don't have anything on this one. Okay, that's and that, and that is that's a good thing. I actually wish that they would stop putting headings in in the uh, Bibles uh, because the fact that it 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 demonstrates a the, it's usually somebody's theological slant when it's a person putting a theological slant on what you're about to read, and unfortunately, it does. People who are reading these, they, they often get that in their mind. It's, oh, that's what I'm diving into. So uh, I'm not a big fan of, of headings like that. So let's, let me read this passage in its entirety, because this passage sets you up for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, especially the passages that we're going to deal with in chapter 5. So let me read this. I'm reading out of the CSB. Uh, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I say, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the smallest or, the, or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. 
So again, we definitely see we're still on the topic of the kingdom of heaven uh, in this passage. Uh, now, Doug, what are some things that we need to keep in mind when we're when we're headed into this? I mean, first, first of all, there's a discussion that needs to go on here about don't think I came to abolish the law of prophets. Let me back up before we actually get into the law and the prophets and think that. What is your view of him bringing this up? I mean, here we are in the sermon about Beatitudes, salt and light, and all of a sudden he just springs out and says, don't think I came to abolish the law and the prophets. Why would he say something like that? Are people thinking that? Um, is he is he trying to correct some view or what? Yeah, uh, and you're already, as you're asking the question, uh, it's hard to even... Uh, articulate all the uh, the problem not the problems the challenges of this text uh, but the answer to that question he is going to compare what they have heard mm -hmm. w about the old covenant law about what god requires things they've been taught from the scribes and pharisees he's going to compare and contrast what they what these folks have heard from them and what he is going to say Mm -hmm. And in some cases, it's going to sound very much like he is changing the old covenant law. In fact, uh, he, he does. Um, and so he doesn't want anyone who's listening to assume, oh, that old covenant law, the, the ten, ten Commandments and uh, you know, Exodus, Deuteronomy, and so on, we just throw that out. It's, it's of, no, uh, of no import. Who cares about it? He's saying, no, 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 no. I'm not coming to just simply say, forget that, we're moving on to something else. But there's a much uh, richer and more profound uh, correlation he has with the law itself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've uh, seen here where he, next he says, I came, where people broke that down and said, you know, this is, he, don't think that I came, that I was sent. Uh, I'm here on a mission. And that points to his authoritative uh, posture that he's already starting to take. I came. Um, don't think that I came. I've been sent to, to abolish it. What does that abolish mean? Because that's that's a key word, I think, right there. Um, he uses that twice in this in this verse alone here and in the next sentence. I didn't come to abolish. In uh, in our covenant, folks would say, "See, he's not he's not abolishing the law. He's not tearing it down." Uh, in what sense do we understand? I'm not I'm not come to abolish it because don't we have another passages somewhere where the idea of of doing away with the, the old covenant law is, is, is told to us. Yeah. So the, the word itself means to destroy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we, we see here a parallel, not this, but that, so not destroy it, but to fulfill it. And it'll be important for us to, to flesh out what that means here in a little bit. Um, but he's saying, I didn't come to just, again, light a match and burn it up and, and, do away with it as though it, it has no impact on anything. Uh, the passages that I would assume you're referring to, uh, Paul in Ephesians 2, he doesn't use the same word, although in uh, most translations it is translated abolish, that mm -hmm. he doesn't use the same word that Jesus uses here. But he does say, now that Christ has come and broken down that middle wall of partition between Jews and Gentiles, and he specifically names it as the law, now that the law has been taken away or removed, or he, in English it's abolished, uh, the two groups are now one man, or he's taken from the two groups to make the one new man kind of thing. And then 1 Corinthians 9 doesn't talk about abolishing, but, he, but Paul does say there, I am not under the Mosaic law, 
which, uh, d again, it does not say exactly the same thing as abolishing it, but he's certainly saying I'm not required to submit to that law any longer. Uh, but the, the key here in this passage is to make sure we understand uh, abolish, destroy. I didn't come to to, like I said, light a match, burn it up, take, take, the, take the Ten Commandments and just crush them on the ground like M Moses did and say, this doesn't apply anymore. That's not what I came to do, but I came to fulfill the law. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we can see a similar thing um, when, when Christ talks about uh, peace. You know, um, he's, he's the Prince of Peace, but yet he says he didn't come to bring peace. I think we have to understand it is not an absolute statement, but the, the way in which he's the context in which he's he's talking about having brought peace or not bring peace um and and uh, so it's not an absolute you know just forget everything in the old testament that's that's completely done and gone away with he's going to he's going to tell us what this how to understand this word as we go along in this passage here now the law and the prophets <laughs> okay so he, he's he's here he is before a crowd and he says uh I don't I don't think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. What a lot of folks again from certain certain theological uh, slants are focusing more or less on one of those and that's usually the law because he repeats it later on and just says the law but law and the prophets what is that what is that I mean is that the prophetic books and then the Pentateuch or what yeah, it's the Jewish way to say really what we would call the Old Testament. It's okay. uh, it's everything in the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant Testament. The uh, It's similar to what Jesus says in Luke 24 mm -hmm. when he's talking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he says, uh, everything in the Law and the Psalms and the Prophets, they all wrote about me. So it's, it's we should think of it as Old Testament. Everything that came before Jesus, all the writings that we have and the, the, the relationship between God and Israel, that's what he's talking about. Right, right, right. And we see that, I mean, throughout the, the New Testament, uh, the, the Gospels particularly, we, we'll see law and prophets used as shorthand for, for, uh, for the Old Testament scriptures. So we're not just, we're not just um, narrowing in on specific books and stuff here. It's, it's the entirety of the Old Testament. Um, so he says, I did not come to abolish them. Uh, hold on a second, let me, let me, let me ask you this. Do you see here another inclusio starting as well with the law and the prophets? It links it to seven twelve. Uh, certainly, yeah. He's uh, he's going to compare and contrast his teaching with the law's teaching, or more accurately, usually the uh, distortion of the law's teaching by the Pharisees. And uh, he's certainly concerned that they understand his uh, position on the law and the prophets. Okay, so this is an inclusio of that has to do with the law and the prophets, and that of course is going to be defined by what we're getting ready to see in a minute here um, in this next sentence. So folks need to keep that in mind as they're looking at this. This passage is not separated from what follows, but he's letting you know that his, this is the topic which he's getting ready to discourse on in here. And again, the kingdom of, of heaven is also part of this discussion. Uh, you, you saw that several times already as you read the passage. He's, this is still on the kingdom of heaven, uh, the, the kingdom of God, that uh, Christ has brought, uh, that is being discussed here as well. So he goes on, okay, and feel free to stop me at any time and add some extra stuff in there. Uh, I did not come to abolish 
He reiterates that I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And there probably is the most key word in the entire passage is the word fulfill. There's a lot of discussion on this pass, this verse, this word right here. Um, it's a uh, play rao. What, what, uh, even, even those who know Greek, <laughs> there's a lot of banter about what it means to fulfill here. Now this, if you've been reading Matthew so far, this is not a co- uncommon word for you. You've seen this word pop up several times. So it's a theme in Matthew. So he's definitely trying to, to say something when he's using this word fulfill. So Doug, you teach Greek, you know Greek, you, you've been teaching through these New Testament scriptures for a long time, uh, and Old Testament. So what does this mean here, particularly to fulfill the law and the prophets? Yeah, it's a good question, and uh, I agree. It's a it's a key word. I forget twenty sometimes this word occurs in the uh, in the book of Matthew itself, mm-hmm. and in every other case, it uh, means what we normally think of as fulfilling a prophecy. Uh, that something in the Old Testament, usually given through the prophets themselves, or something else that had that uh, that forward looking pointing. Uh, Got idea. Uh, Jesus came and he is the fulfillment of that. Um, so, for instance, when uh, Isaiah talks about the uh, the virgin who will give birth to a child and his name will be called Emmanuel, Matthew tells us Jesus' birth to the Virgin Mary is the fulfillment of that prediction, that prophecy. And so that's how we see Matthew using it over and over and over again. Uh, so it's it's it would make sense contextually and and um, uh, it, it, with most hermeneutical principles would say we should interpret that the word here the same way. The problem we run into is people think fulfilling a law, the way we use the word fulfill in our mm-hmm. day, mm-hmm. fulfilling a law usually means keeping a law. Right, uh, right. Or at least that's what we think of. So what a lot of people will do is say, oh, God is, or Jesus is saying, I did not come to abolish the law and prophets, but to fulfill, and they fulfill, he fulfilled the prophets uh, by being what they were pointing to, and he fulfills the law by keeping the law. But I don't see any justification to change the meaning of the word fulfill here for the two different groups. Uh, the, what, what, what I believe he's saying here is the law, even the commands of the Old Covenant, uh, not only did they have a legal function in the life of the Israelite, but they had a prophetic function right. in the long-term uh, story of Jesus. We see Jesus saying this again later in chapter 11, where he says, uh, when, in the context of speaking about John the Baptist, mm-hmm. verse 12 says, "For From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence, and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Right. And so again, he's saying that the law, just like the prophets, told a story of something that was coming up until the point of John. Well, what is that story they were telling? Jesus is that story they were telling. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament, including the law. So Mm -hmm. we see here there's another function that we need to be looking at in the uh, legal requirements of the Old Testament uh, and how they foreshadowed the coming of Jesus himself. Okay, so he's he's saying, I haven't come to abolish the law, but instead I've come to fulfill what it was speaking about me. Um, is, is Is he saying that it's going to be fulfilled in his person or in the teaching that he's about to give? 
yes, uh, both and, and, and I would say all of this teaching, it's the idea, think about the, the broader story here, the broader point that you've made clear several times, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is not synonymous with the kingdom of Israel. Mm-hmm. The, the kingdom of Israel, the old covenant was a foreshadow of what mm-hmm. the kingdom of heaven was supposed to be right. and come, what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And so the law itself, uh, if you think about how to uh, how to summer, how did Jesus articulate the summary of what God wants? Mm-hmm. It, well, the two greatest commandments, he said, the, this is what God wants. He wants you to love the Lord mm-hmm. and he wants you to love your neighbor. Right. The old covenant law was given to show Israel how to love God and how to love their neighbor. And it exposed, because they failed to do that, it exposed their uh, incapacity to do that Mm -hmm. and pointed forward to uh, the coming one who would be their savior and redeem them from the curse, but also who would be the very embodiment and the the new Moses, as we talked about last time, to give a uh, the fuller explanation of what God really wants to love him and love your neighbor. And that's what what Christ did. He came and, and he, yes, he did keep the law, by the way. It's important for us to, to note that. He did right. keep the law, every jot and tittle. But he fulfilled it by being the embodiment of righteousness. He loved the Lord with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind. In fact, uh, I'm, I'm preaching through John right now at our church, and uh, just this phrase that that he says over and over again, I have come to do my father's will. I only do what my father gives me. I only say what my father gives me to say. He's the perfect Jew, perfect Israelite, perfect human in the fact that he does love the Lord with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind. His only passion is to please the father and he loves his neighbor. He gives his life for his neighbor, for his enemy, for everybody. He embodies that, but he also now is going to express in this sermon and in all of his teaching this is now how God wants you to be righteous uh, as he defines it. Okay, okay. So we're looking at him not abolishing the law or the, pro- or the prophets or the Old Testament scriptures as, as we've understood. He's not come to get rid of the Old Testament scriptures, but to fulfill it, to bring it to fulfillment uh, in himself and in his teaching. And then he starts in verse 18. He says, for... And then, you know, it's it's. Let me back up. It's pretty it's pretty um, revelatory for some folks to understand to to, just, to actually verbalize the fact that the law, uh, not just the prophets, but the law itself had a prophetic nature. And a lot of them would, would understand this. A lot of folks who are in the Reformed tradition would um, would would say yes. This the the Passover points to Christ, and they would agree with this. And we're talking about a prophetic a pointing forward to Christ, and Christ was the fulfillment of it. But for them to verbalize that there was a, uh, not just in spe- little pieces and everything, but in, ti- in its entirety, it pointed forward to Christ in some way or another in his kingdom. Um, I think that's something that needs they need to, uh, folks who who've struggled with that need to verbalize for themselves um, so that they understand it, that there's this, there's this big picture going on here with the Old Testament uh, not just not just little stories here and there, but the whole thing. Um, let, let me let me just illustrate yeah. that. Uh, you know, every Christian uh, readily understands how a uh, the sacrifice of a lamb mm-hmm. pointed toward Christ. Right, right. We, we get that Jesus died for our sins the way the lamb died for the sins in the old covenant, and then now they understand. Oh, that was just a picture. That was just pointing towards something 
uh, more uh, more significant, and that's Jesus. Well, every command. Remember the the commands to sacrifice animals; those were commands given by God. Every command in the Old Testament had that kind of preview of of Christ, and He came to to be the fulfillment of all of those commands. Uh, think about the command not to eat pork. Mm-hmm. It's not that God cares ultimately whether or not we eat pork, but that was a test. Are you going to submit to my will? Do you love me more than you love yourself? And will you refrain from eating pork because I tell you to, or are you going to do what you want to do? And again, Jesus, that pointed to Jesus in the sense that not that he has anything to do with pork, but he did to the nth degree, every single thing that the Father required of him to expose to the rest of us, you don't do that. Mm -hmm. You need a Savior and to show us how to do it, even at the point of death on the cross. Mm -hmm. Amen. Um, So I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Then he starts verse 18, 4. He's getting ready to explain this in more detail. Uh, they okay. You didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. How? Or uh, you know what, what? What way are you going to fulfill? And he says, "For truly I tell you." And again, whenever you see "truly I tell you," I was telling my my kids today as we were reading the Bible, we came across a "truly I told you" passage in, in later in Matthew, and I said, "Now remember, this is like Dad when I say listen up." And mm-hmm. it's exactly what Jesus is saying. Listen up. I'm getting ready to tell you something that's important. You need to listen. Truly I tell you. Until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Now, one of the first things I note is is the repetitive use of the word until here. Okay, uh, what's, what's, what's he signaling here? Uh, until heaven and earth pass away and until all things are accomplished. What does the word until mean for us? <laughs> Well, it means uh, it's going to continue on. Um, trying to think of a synonym for until. Um, the something's going to continue on uh, until this other thing happens. So it it it, it it's setting a, a time frame. Um, huh? I've never duration. Tried yeah, there's certain words I've done the same thing with. Uh, trying to you trying to my daughter she'll ask what does this mean, and I'll sit there and say well it means this and this and it's, I'm using the same word <laughs> right and sometimes putting on a different suffix on the end or something ish or something <laughs> right so but, if i give my uh, my kids an instruction that uh, you're not allowed to watch the movie until i get home mm-hmm. and they know very clearly there is a there, there's a point at which they're not allowed to watch the movie and then after that point they may watch the movie if they mm-hmm. want to so here he's making a statement and saying this won't happen until and it will actually two statements as you as you mentioned yeah yeah, so duration here in the tills, but until heaven and earth pass away, um, what? How are how are the the listeners understanding that? Till heaven and earth passes away. Well, that statement sounds like till the uh, the cosmos is destroyed, mm-hmm. until till the you look up in the sky and it's not the sky anymore, and until <laughs> this earth is uh as you know the trees and the snow and the the birds and the bees, everything we see it it's gone, it, it mm-hmm. doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would it's it's called a merismus. It's a figure of speech. To everything in heaven and earth and everything in between is just is just gone, mm-hmm. uh, passed away, doesn't exist anymore. Uh, that's a that's a big statement. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's similar to saying forever kind of thing. Yeah, and it, 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 
when we understand it, he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures here, he's saying that uh, um, until the end of the age, it's not going to pass away. But, and see, here's the thing, is we're, we have to take into account what he just said about it being fulfilled. It's the way in which it's fulfilled. It's, it's going to continue on, but in its fulfilled understanding through Christ. See, that's the problem that a lot of folks have when they come to this passage and they jump over that word fulfill and the understanding of what Jesus is saying there. And they say, oh, see, the law, sometimes the Ten Commandments is what they're referring to when they say the law here. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people narrow in just on the Ten Commandments as the law. And they'll say, see, the Ten Commandments, or the abiding moral law of God, will continue on until heaven and earth pass away. There you go. You know, it's perpetual abiding moral law for all man everywhere at all times. Um, and that's not what he's saying here. He is saying that he's not come to abolish the law and the prophets as a total doing away with it, but yet it's going to be fulfilled in him and his teaching. And in that state, we're going to see it continue on until the end of the age in a fulfilled way. So then he goes on, he says, and not, now here's, here's where your linguistics will come in. I know he's talking specifically about Hebrew here, but uh, not the smallest letter, and this is, again, a modern translation I'm using, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter. What, and crossing T's here, uh, what's he trying to, trying to say here? Yeah, I mean, dotting I's and crossing T's is a good good illustration in English of what he's talking about. It says if you take the entire law, mm -hmm. you cannot just throw it aside, toss it aside. That's It's God's law. Mm -hmm. So uh, until heaven and earth pass away, or until all is accomplished, not the, the there's not even a dotted I of that mm -hmm. law that will be done away with, or not even a T or, or a, a serif. You know, if you think of serif fonts with... With mm -hmm. a little uh, swirly yeah, on the end, right. kind of thing. Whatever he he's using the the smallest little marking of the Hebrew language, mm -hmm. and in and, and again in English it would be the the apostrophe, you know, right, or the, right. the dotted i. Not a single one of those will be tossed aside or done away or destroyed until heaven and earth pass away and all is accomplished. So again, he is amplifying. The, the significance of the old covenant law and saying, don't think for a moment I've come to just chuck it. No, that's impossible for that to happen until earth and heaven has passed away and all is accomplished. Right, right. Yeah, it was, it's funny. We're talking about this. And yesterday I was reading with one of my sons and um, he's uh, doing one of his, his uh, graded reader books and he got all like uh, excited, but yet uh, offended because he was reading a, a section and the publisher left off the dot on an I <laughs> and he, he saw that and he was, it just threw him off. It just, 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 I don't know if it's just one of those, um, uh, what do you call those people that are, uh, that something like that? Just OCD. Yeah. OCD. <laughs> but he saw, he saw that dot con <laughs> and it just like, well, that's, that's not an I now type thing. <laughs> But yes. but that's what that's what we're talking about is is everything down to the smallest part of it um, will not pass away. Now he's also in this by saying this he he's he's upholding the authority and validity of the Old Testament scriptures so that um, the church has no reason to say well you know we've got the New Testament chunk out the Old Testament. I know a lot of NCT people get accused oftentimes of taking the Old Testament and just chucking it, but uh, we. Understand here, maybe more rightly than than 
others who hold to other other systems or hermeneutics that there is a a a very much abiding uh purpose of the law in the life of the saints and it's because of the fact of christ jesus not because of moses but because of jesus that we go back and we should be diligent students of the old testament yeah again it it's in the same way that we study the stories uh, that foreshadow the coming of Jesus, like David, you know, and mm-hmm. seeing him as a type and a foreshadow of Jesus. We should read the law as well as foreshadowing the coming of Christ. And it has great significance in helping us understand even even righteousness, which we will mm-hmm. see as we go through the rest of this yeah. sermon. Uh, it, it does help us understand what kingdom righteousness is. But where everyone gets hung up on, and you kind of alluded to this a few minutes ago, uh, is when the word law here, if not the smallest stroke mm-hmm. of the law is abolished mm-hmm. or passing away, then uh, the question comes, well, wait a minute. What do we do with the pork law that I yeah. brought up a moment ago, right? Right. right? Does that mean that we Christians shouldn't eat bacon? And I certainly hope that's not true. Just had a huge piece of bacon on a burger, a 10-ounce burger last night at Bad Daddy's, and it was fantastic. <laughs> Daddy's. And I enjoyed it to the glory of the Lord. Uh-huh. Um, so the uh, the traditional way that the Reformed school of thought approaches this question is uh, they would agree that uh, the law continues, but not all of the law. They uh-huh. would take the Old Testament law. Uh, again, Exodus through Deuteronomy especially, uh, and they would say there are three types or categories of law listed in the Old Testament. Uh, And those three types are uh, ceremonial law, as they call it. Uh, So the the laws of the the priesthood, the, the temple, the sacrifices, those things that had to do with the specific rituals of the priesthood. And they would say those laws are abolished we know that because Jesus fulfilled them. Uh, he's the sacrifice. He's the temple. He's the priest. He's all of those things. So they, they are taken up in him, and the way that we keep those ceremonial laws is by worshiping Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yay, yay and amen. And then they would say the uh, civil laws were specific to the nation of Israel, and they governed how Israel was supposed to uh be as a nation before God, and since uh, the church is the fulfillment of Israel, but we're not a nation like Israel was, uh, God has taken away those specific laws. We don't have to abide by border laws and, mm-hmm. and how to treat other nations because the church is not a nation. So none of those apply to us. That leaves what they call the moral law, and they re- reduce the moral law to the Ten Commandments. Right. And say that what Jesus here is talking about is that the the Ten Commandments will not pass away until heaven and earth pass away or until all is accomplished because the Ten Commandments are the enduring, eternal, righteous requirement of God for all people, all time. And that just doesn't work in this passage. Uh, by the way, that's a that's a um, that trifold distinction of the law. I haven't found any traces of it prior to Thomas Aquinas. He right. seems to be the originator of this, and the reformers kind of latched onto it. There, there were a few before him that that uh, espoused a uh, bipartite law, not but nothing hard and fast and systematic. Uh, but it, it was nothing that seemed to have caught on uh, until Aquinas mm. with tripartite. Yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of um, hermeneutical gymnastics, in my opinion. 
when you approach a passage and you have to bob and weave other passages in order to get to that point. And uh, when you when you come up against the plain reading of a text and have to do something like that, it means that um, you're probably doing something wrong there. Uh, and it's really hard to think the original audience would have in any way rest. picked up on that. Right. They, yeah, they, I, they, right. They didn't have that no. threefold distinction in their mind. They mm -hmm. looked at, the, he's already said, an all-encompassing law and prophets. Right. And they would have been thinking all the law, all the, mm -hmm. you know, we look at, because of the Reformed uh, approach, we look at the Ten Commandments as uh, so significant that we, we would have put the others in the second class. They would not have done that in the original hearing. No, here. no, not at all. Not at all. In fact, as, as we get into the rest of chapter five, you're going to see that uh, for some reason, there's this there's this amnesia that comes over people when they start reading this part. He's talking about the he's talking about the Ten Commandments, and they go into the rest of chapter five. And for some reason, they're reading these commands that Christ is saying, "But I say unto you about," and they're not all Ten Command the Ten Commandments that he's going into. He's going into the other laws and such. Uh, he's he's uh, he's well, I won't go into it detail right now, but he's he's going into various ones, and that's what they would have understood here. Is that he was he was going through a, a range of the law, and that's what he's talking about here in the law and the prophets. He's talking about all of it, all of it. So we can't cherry pick. Uh, he's talking about all of it being fulfilled in him. Uh, and their 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 abiding validity is is based upon its fulfillment in him. Here, and he's definitely talking about the prophetic nature of this thing. Uh, about the law, because the fact that here he's 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 just it should, it should not pass away. We know that it it's passed away or abolished in the sense of a national law uh, and and you know the dietary regulations and stuff. Uh, because you can't cherry pick if you're going to say that this has to do with with that. You know, not understanding it as the prophetic fulfillment, then you've got to take it in another sense in which. Uh, all those laws are still valid as far as keeping them. Here he's pointing to the prophetic nature, and it's seen here, the law it should not pass away, shall not pass away until all things are accomplished. Now, let me ask you this. All things and accomplished. What, what is he referencing there? Is he talking still about the fulfilling of it? Um, is he talking about just his lifetime? Is he talking about... To the end of age, or what? What's what's what needs to be accomplished as far as all things, and what does it mean to be accomplished? That's a great question, uh, and it's one of the questions that makes this such a difficult passage. Uh, and I will tell you on that question, I kind of go back and forth. Mm -hmm. uh, the heaven and earth pass away seems pretty easy to me, and this would be a parallel phrase. So until heaven and earth passes away, and until all things are accomplished, so it's certainly possible to see the all-accomplished meaning that that is synonymous with the heaven and earth passing away, mm -hmm. in which case what you, were, what you were just describing, it would be the interpretation that uh, as, it is a, as the law points to Jesus mm -hmm. and is fulfilled in Jesus and he is now come to be the embodiment of the righteousness of God and the righteousness of the kingdom, and he's the 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 new Moses, the second Moses, as we talked about mm -hmm. last time, right, right, and, and all of those things. And as he gives his law to God's people going forward, as a as the fulfillment of Moses and and all that, that that's going to stay intact until heaven and earth pass away, until all is done, uh, which you know is still yet future for us. That right. is a a a reasonable and 
it, it fits the context. It fits the, 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 the words here. That is certainly very possible. And some days, uh, as I'm studying this, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, there's another one, another another view that also makes a lot of sense, that the until all is accomplished serves as a qualifier, so not an exact parallel phrase to until heaven and earth pass away, but that he's qualifying what he said there. So he gives this this universal statement, until heaven and earth pass away, passes away, and then he qualifies it. Ultimately, what he means here is until the cross, mm-hmm. until he brings the the final fulfillment of the law in terms of being its curse, which mm-hmm. he, he accomplished on the cross, and bringing an end to that old covenant, then the law passes away in terms of its uh, requirements upon the nation of Israel. So either of those fit the context of the whole sermon and make sense grammatically, right. in, in my view, um, and I kind of go back and forth depending on the day. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, I agree. Um, as far as the all things, I think he's just restating um, uh, what he previously said with smallest letter or smallest stroke, and then below it where he says at least of these commandments. I think it's just a reiteration. You're talking about all these little pieces and everything like that, and then he's saying all of it um, until all of that is accomplished. So, but again, accomplished is the word. It's it's a little bit difficult to nail down uh, specifically. Um, either way will fit. Then he goes on and says, therefore, now here's some, here's, the, so in light of all that, <laughs> you know, what's the therefore, therefore? It's because of all, everything that was said previously that Jesus is the, didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law in himself. The law and the prophets had a, had a prophetic nature to them. None of the Old Testament will pass away in this regard, in this fulfilled understanding uh, until heaven and earth pass away. Therefore, verse 19, therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, aha, I just caught you. We're wrong because he says breaks one of these commands. So is this referring to uh, the, the keeping of the Ten Commandments or some type of command then? Therefore, whoever breaks one of the commands is going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. Um, you're you're not a Sabbath keeper, uh, therefore you're breaking one of the commands, and you're going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. Is that how we're to understand that? I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> this is the hardest verse in this whole section, uh, in my opinion. Um, and here's where I part ways with D. A. Carson, which I don't do. Uh, I don't <laughs> like to do. Um, so that the question is, what commandments is he referring to? Mm-hmm. That uh, the crux of it seems to, to, to be there in the different opinions. And uh, so one view is he's referring back to the commandments of the law that he just spoke of. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other view is that he's speaking of the commandments, these commandments being not these that I just mentioned, but these that I'm about to mention, uh, the rest of Jesus's commands in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Um, and that's the view that, that Carson takes, that he's saying as the, as the fulfillment of the old covenant law, as the new Moses, as I'm giving uh, these instructions to you, um, as the embodiment of the, the fulfillment of the old covenant law, then if you treat my commands lightly, then you will be called least in the kingdom, that kind of thing. Uh, and I understand why he gets there. That's not the, the position that I take. Okay. I think he is referring to the commands of the old covenant. 
in a fulfilled state? Yeah. Uh, no. Um, so think about who he's talking to here. Yes. First century Jews. He, yeah. He's talking to first century Jews. Uh-huh. They are still under the old covenant right. in its entirety. Every okay. jot and tittle. Right. Okay. And I believe what he's saying that the, the, the this hinges on verse twenty, unless your righteousness mm-hmm. surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It is difficult for us, I think, to fully grasp what the original hearers would have heard in that statement. The Pharisees were the paragon right. of virtue. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, the very word Pharisee probably comes from the idea of pure, like what we right. think of the Puritans. They, right. they set out to purify Israel because of all their sin. Uh, they were the teachers. They were sitting in the seat of Moses. Jesus even says that later on, and you should, you should listen to them. And so they were the standard of righteousness. And these Jewish people, this crowd sitting there listening to Jesus, are told, if you're not more righteous than them, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And you can imagine what they would have thought. Well, how, how is that possible? How am, how am I going to be more righteous than the Pharisee or the scribe? Mm-hmm. Well, think about the entire sermon, what, uh, Sermon on the Mount. What we've already heard and where we're going here, he is constantly going to point out the hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see this extended in Matthew chapter 23, yeah. the pronouncement of woes. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, you hypocrites. His favorite right. word for them. You're hypocrites. You're just play acting. You're pretending. Right. And and earlier he had rebuked them for taking the uh, doctrines that they created, the writings of men, as he called mm-hmm. them, or the mm-hmm. teaching of men, and you teach them as though they are the doctrines of God. So what did the Pharisees do with God's law? They took it, they twisted it around, they reinterpreted it, and decided this is what it means for you hearers, uh, and it doesn't really matter what God actually said anymore. It matters what the Pharisees and the scribes right. interpreted it to be. Very right. similar, and I and I, I hope that uh, anyone who has uh, Catholic background or Roman Catholic uh, friends and family here will, will listen to me carefully. Mm-hmm. The Catholic religion has done the same thing. Yeah, they have their teaching branch called the magisterium, and the magisterium. Whatever they have decided with the Pope sitting on the throne, ex cathedra, when they make a proclamation on an interpretation of the Bible, that is the definitive required interpretation. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what you and I think or any priest or even the Pope when he's not sitting ex cathedra. When the magisterium determines this is the meaning, then you are required to accept that meaning. Right. And we would say there are clearly abundance of places that they take the wrong view. It doesn't matter what you and I say because we're not the magisterium. The Pharisees did the same thing. They twisted it. In fact, Jesus, if you remember, rebuked them specifically saying, God requires you to honor your father and mother, according to the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. And the Pharisees took that and said, well, the money that you would give to your parents to honor them, instead, give them to the temple. Give them to us. And Jesus calls them out and said, that's not, that's not what God intended. That's not what the law requires, but you have changed it and distorted it in order to satisfy your desires here. So that's the, that's the context. That's, that's what the Pharisees had done with this. And, and Jesus is saying, if you don't become sincere mm-hmm. 
-hmm. in your righteous pursuits. If you're a hypocrite like them, you will not enter the kingdom. The, the Pharisees are not getting in, and you won't either unless you're better than them. So those are the people he's talking to. So now go back to verse uh, 19. 19. It, mm -hmm. Yes. If you uh, loose, the, the Greek word there is, is loose, if you release, if you, if you um, and, and the NAS here translates as a null, I think yours said break. If you, break, yeah. if, if you treat as insignificant even the least of God's commands— which I believe this is the old covenant law he's still referring to. Mm -hmm. And you tell others, you teach other men to do the same thing, like the Pharisees do, because that's what they're constantly doing. Right. In the kingdom, when it comes, if you get in the kingdom, and you may get in the kingdom because the kingdom is not entered by law-keeping, but by faith, you will be considered least, as opposed to the Jew who sought desperately with all of his heart and strength to keep God's law. He wanted to keep God's law. He has the mindset of, of the psalmist in Psalm 119. I delight in your law. I want to keep it. It's the light unto my path. If that's your attitude, you'll be considered great. When the law and its legal requirements, when the, when the Ten Commandments and the rest are no longer binding on you, Jew, how you treated it when it was binding on you will determine whether you're considered great in the kingdom or least in the kingdom. Hmm. But you've got to be better than the Pharisees because they're just hypocrites and they distort it and twist it. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So um, least and greatest, though, I mean, is that is there a rank structure we're talking about in the kingdom? Well, from this perspective, um, yes. Uh, again, think of, think of Nicodemus, right. who uh, may have come to faith. We don't know for sure. But there are, there's some indication. He certainly was, his interest was piqued, and he came to Jesus at night in John 3, and then mm -hmm. later on. Mm -hmm. And and uh, and let's say, though, he was a Pharisee who was like the other Pharisees, and what he taught the people was, uh, you don't have to give your money to your parents, give it to the, the temple instead. Right. right. Then he comes to faith, and he enters the kingdom, and he truly is a believer now. He's no longer required to keep the old covenant law. But from this perspective... He's least. He, he's he's less. He he he's betraying his lack of concern to really please God in the old covenant system more so than the guy I was just describing, who really tried with all of his heart to to keep the law because he wanted to please God. In that sense, he is greater. They're both in the kingdom, mm -hmm. and Nicodemus, as he's taught now uh, what what's real and true and pleasing to the Lord, he's going to look back with shame. Mm -hmm. and how he acted like the rest of the Pharisees. So from that perspective, he's going to be called least in the kingdom. That's okay. how I see it. Okay. Yeah, I've always uh, held, I think I think it may be more the, the Carson view, and the, I think it's the one that Zaspel and Wells went with, uh, that he's talking about a fulfilled state here, um, that, that, that it's referring to the, the keeping it in, as far as its fulfilled state. Um, alluding to what he's getting ready to talk about in the rest of the chapter. And then um, the righteousness is surpassed than the scribes and the Pharisees because of the fact that it's based on a, a higher elevated um, law that Christ is giving to regenerate people rather than unregenerate people. Um, yeah, and, and, I, I, and I get that. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's good. Well, go I understand why 
you know what why they take that view and, and I, I it makes sense in some ways to me though mm -hmm. when you keep coming back what he's already taught mm -hmm. uh, all the 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 poor in spirit the right. uh, the meekness the hunger and thirsting for righteousness uh, how do you respond when you're persecuted? All those things. He says, let your righteousness be on display so that everyone right. will see it. Right. And then he's going to go on and show them what it means to truly please the Lord. You think you're you're pleasing the Lord because you're not committing adultery. Well, let me dig into that more and talk about where your heart is. Uh, the Pharisees were so external and right. so hypocritical uh, that he's trying to expose to them the law itself of God required absolute obedience from the right. heart. Right. And, and the Pharisees don't get it. And if you're going to be better than them, you have to get it. And again, they don't know the fullness of all that he's going to display. They're still under the old covenant. And that's where mm -hmm. the until right. all is accomplished mm -hmm. makes sense to me. If he's talking there about the end of the old covenant as a covenant, uh, then he's saying until that point, you cannot for a moment set aside the law. Imagine um, someone hears Jesus teaching here and uh, says, oh, I don't have to keep the law anymore. I can go eat pork. Yeah. Because Jesus is all the stuff I'm hearing. He's saying out with the old, in with the new. So I don't care about, I'm going to eat pork all I want to. I'm going to touch the dead people, touch unclean animals. No problem. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. This is still the law of God. Until mm -hmm. I bring it to an end, you do not have the right to just toss it aside. That's not what I came to do. I didn't come to just right. toss it aside. It's the law of God, and until it's all finished, you have to look at it as the way to please God. Okay. Okay, yeah. I think, you know, I, I, now I'm starting to think I, I've, I've read somebody's position on this before. Um, do you know of any commentators? I don't, but if you find it, let me know, because I've been searching for a long time to find someone who's... Something, something sparked in my brain just now, and I said, I think I've, I've read somebody saying the same thing before that this part right here is dealing with the old testament keeping or the, the the jews keeping the old covenant until that point in time um yeah i think i'd still lean though to to, to more the uh understanding this is as, as as he's pointing to what he's getting ready to talk about in this uh the fulfillment um but i don't think it i don't think it does anything to the rest of the passage uh no it as doesn't far as understanding it in that way no. So you asked me the question, is there a rank in the kingdom? So mm -hmm. if he's talking about Jesus' commands coming up, would you say there's a rank in the kingdom? Um, only as far as, I mean, all of them, of course, are going to be receiving grace and, and rewards. But uh, uh, I don't know if I'd call it a hard rank type thing. I haven't really uh, delved into that. But I would say that, uh, uh, that being a faithful teacher is always something that the scripture admonishes. Um, and I think a faithful teacher would uh, teach the whole counsel of God as it's revealed in the scriptures through Christ. Uh, so that's that's definitely, I think, something that, that, that is, is being understood in this passage right here, because this person is a teacher. He's talking about someone who teaches. Uh, not everybody goes around teaching. Uh, we, I think all Christians do to a certain extent, whether it be their children or to disciples or, or to congregations. So uh, passing on the fulfilled understanding of the Old Testament, if you will. Um, uh, so here, you know, here's the, the here's the struggle I have with that. Yeah, right, right. Is the uh, the way I was describing it to teach uh, to to annul or to to mm -hmm. loose right, right. an old covenant command after the old covenant is over. 
uh, I can see someone being in the kingdom who has done that, right? So again, think about Nicodemus. He's belittled the uh, giving the money to take care of your parents, and and he's twisted that around right, in a pharisaical right. way. But he gets in the kingdom, and he realizes, mm-hmm. oh, I was treating the the word of God, the, the law of God, poorly. Mm-hmm. I'm in the kingdom, but yeah, I, I'm least because I did that. It's hard for me to see how a a new covenant teacher, like if I went around telling people it's okay to be angry, don't mm-hmm. don't kill them, but you can be as angry as you want. Right. Right. There's a right. you're right in your anger and yada yada yada. So I am I am annulling one of the commands he's right. about to give. Right. Right. Or adultery. He's going to say talk about adultery and the lust in your heart. And right. Yeah. You know, there's nothing you can do about the lust in your heart. Go ahead with it. So I'm I'm uh, annulling. You don't have to worry about Jesus's right. teaching about the lust in your heart. It's hard for me to look at somebody who teaches that and say, yeah, they're in the kingdom. They're just right. least. Right. Uh, that normally we would call somebody like that a false teacher. We would mm-hmm. we would say they're they're leading the flock into heresy. Right. But if it's old covenant teaching, I I can make it it fits better in my in my understanding. Right. That's that's something to consider there too. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, would 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 loosing it, uh, breaking it, uh, would that go along with ab- abolishing to some sense? See whoever abolishing it in the way that it's being taken away, um, in a in in a total sense that he's trying to say it's not. Um, you're you're asking if that's what he could mean in verse nineteen. Mm-hmm. Well, again, would we look at someone who does that, a teacher who does that, and say they're in the kingdom? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Certainly, mm-hmm. in some cases, we wouldn't. Who was it? I was reading a commentator recently on this passage, and uh, someone actually, someone actually uh, did say that a bad teacher was going to be least in the kingdom of, of heaven. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that may be actually, true. He actually named sense. he actually named theological tra- traditions too, which he thought were going to be least in the kingdom of heaven. Well, so, the reform guys would have put us in that camp for yeah, sure because we're, we're for abolishing sure. the law and annulling it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it just depends on what they're teaching. Mm-hmm. Certainly, there's a part of us that would say, you know, teachers are held to a stricter judgment, and if mm-hmm. you're a really awful teacher, you may be a believer. But Paul gets into this a little bit in 1 Corinthians, where he talks about the uh, the man who builds with straw and hay and stubble, and on the Day of Judgment, he gets—he's saved, but his whole ministry is burned up and consumed, and it's, it's of no value eternally. And that may be what Jesus is talking about here. So uh, it's, this is why we're spending so much time on this and uh, having to go slowly, because this is a tough, tough passage. Yeah. But at least for me, as I, as I look at that righteousness surpassing the scribes and the Pharisees and remember the first, uh, the first hearers of this, it makes more sense to go uh, the way that I was talking earlier. And I wonder if we're taking the words least and greatest and making them rank rather than um, maybe, say, for instance, a maturity stature as well. Um, someone who um, is not mature in Christ, um, who is, is experiencing lack of growth because um, of their their disobedience or lack of um, uh, following the commands, whether they be the fulfillment ones we're talking about, or the old covenant, um, I guess it could be old covenant in that way. Um, 
but I wonder if we're taking an interesting least and greatest is rank rather than maturity status or something else as well. It could be. And maybe we're getting too hung up on the word called. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're thinking, oh, should we go around putting labels on people? It very well could be that Jesus is just making a point mm-hmm. that this kind of person, this action is is not good. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it, and this kind of action is better. This kind of person is mm-hmm. better. That that could be the extent of his point that we we're not now supposed to go and call out people who are least or greatest. That's not the priority here. He's just uh, contrasting either your attitude toward the old covenant law for the original audience, or he's he's calling out the attitude that we have now to the things he's going to teach, and saying to either person, you want to be great. Mm-hmm. As yeah. God defines great, mm-hmm. and that means you care for righteousness. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. You don't want to be hypocritical. You What you want to do with all of your heart is please the Lord. Okay. Uh, th- that's what he is going to tell us. That's what he's going to say over and over again. That's what everything he has to say really boils down to. Do you love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? And let me explain what that looks like in the new covenant and in the true kingdom, the the, the realized kingdom. And uh, anything that's less than that is not greatness as God defines greatness. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Let's let's go on from there. I think that passage pretty much sets it up, especially, like I said, verse 17 and 18 really sets it up for— um, where Jesus is heading in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount with understanding the law uh, and the prophets, the Old Testament in its fulfilled state in him, and um, that he sets up the uh, the continuing authority of the Old Testament as it is understood in him. Hey, everyone, this is Chris. Sorry about the abrupt ending there, but we actually went ahead and recorded the entire uh, chapter five of Matthew. But uh, since we went for two hours long, we decided to cut this up into two episodes. So you've got the first hour here, and next week we'll publish the second hour of Matthew chapter five. We hope that you enjoyed our conversation today. It's a it's a very pivotal uh, discussion for Matthew chapter five, and I pray that it blessed you. I pray that you would uh, be edified by this. And uh, feel free to, to share this episode with your friends and on social media and emails or just, just recommend it to another person. Thanks for the thumbs up, the stars, the likes, and for sharing it on social media. Folks, if you need anything, go ahead and contact me at the link in the show description at chris at crossthecrown.org. And guys, there's a lot of other resources that you can find on New Covenant Theology, Bible teaching at crossthecrown.org. So I recommend you go there and check out all the audio, the video, the books, and writings that are there. And those are free of charge, except for the books. (laughs) So, uh, folks, we want to thank you for being with us this week. And until next time, we want to encourage you to live intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things.